Welcome to episode 72 of Stage Worthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. You know, a while back, I read Austin Kleon's book, Show Your Work, which I recommend to anyone who makes stuff. In the book, the author talks about the importance of sharing your process as a way to build your audience. Now, there is a part of me that just shudders at the idea of building my audience. The whole selling yourself thing has a certain ick factor for me, and I think I'm not alone at that. There's something about selling myself that just seems disingenuous. But then, if we, as theater makers, can't do that, how the hell are we supposed to sell our art? I'm reminded of being at the Toronto Fringe Lottery every year and having Sue Edworthy remind everyone who gets a show into the Fringe that they need to tell people about it. I guess there are a lot of people who are as uncomfortable with self-promotion as I am. But she's right. If we want people to come to our shows, we have to let them know about it, which means we need to build our audience, right? Okay, so in January, I decided that since I didn't get into Fringe this year, that I was going to produce something myself. So I booked a space, and now I have to write a thing. So as I write that thing, I'm posting about it on my personal website, philrickaby.com. Now, since I'm just in the writing stage, I'm going to be talking about how the writing is going and the stages of creating this play, but as things get closer to production, I'm going to post about that too. So if you want to follow along as I post about this, go over to my site, that's philrickaby.com, and click on the blog section. And while you're at it, why don't you do the same? I would love to hear about your process and what you're working on. So if you have something to share, tweet at StageworthyPod with the hashtag, showyourwork. While we're talking about tweeting at me, remember that you can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Facebook at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. My guest this week is Alex Dalt. Alex is the Artistic Director of Theatre by the Bay in Barrie, Ontario, a company previously known for performing classical work, but who recently made the transition to devising new work. When were you at George Brown? I was at George Brown from 2007 to 2010. So after Young Center? Um, or pre-Young Center? After Young Center. Okay. So I was I was in the, the Distillery District campus. Mm-hmm. And that was part of what drew me to yeah. study at, at the theater school. Was that that mm-hmm. was a new thing and it seemed really exciting mm-hmm. that there was this partnership with Soul Pepper. And, which was uh, which when I got there I realized is not really a <laughs> thing. Not- I think but, the uh, promise of, of what that was supposed to be was not realized. No, um, no. Um, but I mean, I think being in that area is great. Yeah. For a student, uh, who was the head of acting at the time when you were there? A uh, Todd Hammond. Todd Hammond. Okay. Yes. Because <clears throat> um, I was there in the Heiner Pillar Peter Wild years. Oh, really? On River Street. Oh, okay. <laughs> in the theater that is no longer the building that is. Yeah, no yeah, no. But I've heard now. so much. I've heard all. That's the about le- it. you know the legendary days of George Brown. What what <clears throat> what uh, um, what year did you graduate? Uh, Ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah. Okay. Did you go to the? There was a reunion this year. There was the fortieth mm-hmm. reunion or something. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, like, there were a few people. Do you, uh, Brendan Murray? Brendan Murray. 
It was was there <laughs> Brett Christopher? Any of those guys? Mm. No, those names aren't, aren't aren't ringing a bell. They could okay. have been. They could have been after me. After you? Yeah. 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 Oh, it's it's one of those it's one of those uh, those things. Like that building has like I know people who like you you mark the the, the history of the George Brown Theater School by by location. Yeah, that's right. River Street location, and there's a certain camaraderie of, among the people who went through that because yeah. that building was you had two studios and one. The theater. stories are that you guys slept there. You oh guys shit! Would sleep, you would sleep yeah, overnight. Like, I mean, not everybody, but like you come in in the morning and there somebody who, who who just stayed there because I mean, if you knew that if you were like working on a thing until like one or two in the morning, like fuck, just you know. Well, it's going to take me that long to get home. I'll just sleep here. Yeah, yeah. Places to sleep, and you could do it, you know? See, that makes total sense to me. I'm mm-hmm. like, like, you know, there were a couple funny stories, but, you know, it was hard to get a rehearsal room, so I yeah. would... Some of the dressing rooms would be rehearsal spaces, yeah. and, like, I would just book it the whole day, and I would, like... I would live in there, yeah. right? You know, and people kind of make fun of you or whatever, but it makes complete sense you would stay overnight. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Sleep in the halls or um, whatever. And then after that era, there's the the Casaloma campus right. era where I know a few people who went through there. But, I mean, the thing about the Casaloma campus, everything I've heard about that was everything felt makeshift. Right. Because like it, it was. It was transitional. Yeah. Because yeah. they were just waiting until the new space got built. Right. And then there's... And then, you know, when I first... Started getting a look at the facilities at at uh, in the distillery. I was like, "Fuck, we had like the, it was a disease factory. If a person sneezed in one room by the afternoon, everybody had it because the system would just move it through." <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It w- I'm not gonna lie. It was. I have zero complaints. Those mm-hmm. were the most beautiful facilities. Mm-hmm. It was a dream yeah. to study in that. Cool. What, what they set up there mm-hmm. yeah cool I sometimes hear rumors that they might leave they might go to somewhere bigger or something and I'm like no you sh-, you know it's perfect the way it is you got the they've got three studios and two classroom spaces it's it's the the, the problem with with going to a bigger space is you would probably you would find yourself in a position where you would need more students to make it work which means that you'd be taking in an even larger first year yes and need to cut need even to cut. more people. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Which, you know, it's hard enough. Like, the year before me, they ended with a, like, by the end of their third year, there's a cast of four people. Down from 30. And, uh, no, the two years before me, when I was the first year, the year that was two four, years before me, they had four, four people. from 30. That was their graduating class was four people. And then the year directly before me, I think, had, like, 15. And we were about 14, 15 when I, when I graduated. Wow. <coughs> Ours yeah. was yeah. We went from started at like thirty four, went down to seventeen mm-hmm. people. Yeah. When did you know that the theater was something that you wanted to do? Pro- like professionally, at, at, even or even just, before you had an idea that there was like a professional thing. When I was in the fourth grade, this guy came to my school mm-hmm. who brought a bunch of kids together in the the class and he's like how would you guys like to create a play mm-hmm. and what that meant was he rolled out this big piece of butcher's paper and gave us like crayons and he just had us draw mm-hmm. he took that away and came back with a script like mm-hmm. he created a, like a text out of, <clears throat> out of our imaginations mm-hmm. 
And so that was always that was my introduction to theater was that it was it wasn't like you know we start from a script and we learn the thing. It started for it came from us. It came mm-hmm. from our own devising mm. and went through a kind of a process. And this guy, I tracked him down using Twitter like twenty years later, mm-hmm. and I learned that he had been in Montreal at a time when the theater there was just like like it was in a really mm. kind of a golden age. Robert Lepage was mm. was kind of uh, a young younger creator. Yeah. And he'd been inspired by him. He'd been in my town, which is in Barrie, for one year. Mm. And he worked with our cl- happened to work with our class. Like it just seemed mm. amazing yeah. that I'd had contact with this kind of creative spirit, right? So anyway, he that experience really inspired me and, and changed my life. Um, prior to that, I had... Um, I don't know. I didn't really know what I... I wasn't really good at anything. I'm like really kind of clumsy, bad at math, yeah. all kinds of things, you know? And so theater, I was, it was something I was actually really good at. And right. I liked being in front of an audience as well. Did you... Had you... This was your... Like with this guy, that was the first time realizing that you enjoyed like the audience? I liked uh, everything about theater. I liked the mm-hmm. creative process. Mm-hmm. I liked rehearsing. I liked being in front of an audience. I liked... Playing character, you know, all of the all of the great things were introduced to me in that one project. Did you do? Were there was there an opportunity to do plays through your public school? Uh, uh, experience not or, not really. Mm-hmm. Like, but in both my elementary and secondary school, if there was an opportunity to do a play, it was like kind of a special circumstance. I didn't go to any kind of art school. They didn't or do like a yearly thing. It, it was sort of ad hoc. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Some of my experience, like when I was in public school, there was a teacher who would have us do these musicals each year. I'm pretty sure that we didn't do them legally. I'm pretty sure that the, that he was not <laughs> he, getting. He just got the. He's like, we're just going to uh, do. No, it. he like developed his own script. You know, like, oh, I think yeah. he read the original and like developed his own that was uh, appropriate for children. And like I remember doing Oklahoma and shit like that. <clears throat> but it was just. I think that was just the. Uh, I. As a as a writer myself, I can't forgive him, but he exposed me to so much theater. Right. The yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in high school, every year there was like some kind of show. There were there were a couple of years when it was ad hoc as well. But there was like a teacher who'd be like, they'd come in and they'd be like, "I'm driving this this year, and we're going to do Grease this year, or yeah. something like that." You it know? really relies yeah. on on the personality of a of a teacher mm-hmm. to come in and share that that those skills and that knowledge. And often they have no idea what they're doing. Sometimes they don't, you know. But they have to have the they have to have the willingness to put in the extra hours to to do it because they're you know they have to get the script they have to get the space they have to have rehearsals they have to somehow get a set built yeah in a school system they're probably making costumes or whatever it's like the ultimate in indie theater oh yeah with like zero budget half the time yeah well this guy this mentor and I'll name him Mark Lemire because I you know I have nothing but respect for this guy who who did this thing he had apparently been hired by my French this, this play was in French this okay. French Catholic school he'd been brought there to make a uh, slideshow mm-hmm. using photographs and they gave him a box of photographs a really simple thing he wasn't even there as a teacher <laughs> and he just happened to be at like a like a teacher's meeting and the principal's there and this guy's very creative right mm-hmm. he's like well, yeah, we're going to have like projections on all the walls. This is like 1994. 
you know, we're going to have projections on all the walls. There's going to be smoke and music. We're going to have like this thing. And they were all just like, what are you talking about? We just right. want to, we just want a slideshow. Yeah. And, uh, and then next item, the school play. Does anyone want to do it? All the teachers are kind of looking at their shoes. And this guy just said, I'll direct your play. I'll yeah. do that. And, uh, the principal's like, okay, well, there's no money for it. So this guy would just, he would go around just like sourcing stuff, like begging, mm. stealing. He got yeah. the principal to give him a, a portable to like rehearse oh, wow. the show in. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. He, he was, he did have that indie producer spirit yeah. for sure. I remember doing Grease in high school and they had, uh, they, the, they got the shop, like the, the automobile department to give them some junker. And, you know, it's supposed to be a 50s car, but all they could get was, like, a Volkswagen. But still, having the car on stage, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> and then they, like, took it apart and made it hollow and shit, took the wheels off. But it was like, the teacher was like, I need to make this look like it's 50s somehow. <laughs> you know, somehow. I think they did it with the paint job, but nobody gave a shit. Um, but, so, there, there was that initial exposure to theater. And when was it that you decided that, that, was, that this is something you were going to do with your life? Um, when I actually the first season of the Theater by the Bay okay. um, brought uh, Shakespeare to mm. Barry. They had this big tent by the water. Mm. They did Midsummer Night's Dream. It was my first time seeing like I mean I'd seen stuff at Stratford, yeah. but seeing professional Shakespeare like that close. Daryl Clorin, who now AD at Citadel, was directed it. He was a young director just out of school himself. He'd graduated from Queens mm-hmm. and. I just remember being like, this is what theater can be, and these guys make a living doing this. That, like, my my mind just exploded mm-hmm. seeing that. And I think that's when I was like, I want to I be like them. Right. Yeah. Any resistance from, from parental units to the idea of pursuing theater? My parents were super supportive. Super supportive. Mm-hmm. I, I was very fortunate in that. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they never said, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> you know, maybe they were naive, but they... Yeah. I think they... they Knew, they also knew that that was what I was good at, and that's right. what I loved doing, and they always were very supportive of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Theatre by the Bay, yeah. Um, how long have you been involved with, with Theatre by the Bay? Not as an audience member? Not as, yeah. So the following year, I was part of the original Young Company. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 17 years old, we did Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. We performed on the set uh, of Romeo and Juliet. It was under the tent. And we actually had bigger audiences than <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. They had to add performances on mm. to our run because kids love pirates. And yeah. They love Treasure Island. Yeah. So uh, that summer it was like being a rock star, right? Mm-hmm. You often hear that. But uh, uh, So so I, I did that. And then in subsequent years I was an actor mm-hmm. with the company. I was usually the smallest part. Right. But I was like the local boy who's made good, who's in the cast. Right. With, you know, and I got to work with some incredible right. actors you know for, for, for my age and learned a huge amount just watching mm. being totally terrible like Richard Rose like being like oh my god how am I going to teach this kid <laughs> who knows nothing about acting you know to right. uh, and Daryl uh, uh, was the director of uh, one of the shows anyway I acted with the company for uh, maybe five seasons mm-hmm. and then at some stage, Larissa Mayer, who was artistic director at the time, asked me to direct a production for them. And um, the same summer, 
I, I proposed that we add a show on to the season that would be a, a walking tour show about the history of Barry. Okay. Uh, which Larissa was initially like, that's totally insane. We have no money. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and uh, I think I got her to commit... Twelve hundred bucks. I said I'll do it for twelve hundred dollars. I'll create this show and get the actors. We'll make it happen, and um, somehow managed to create this show. Mm-hmm. To me, that again, that now seems insane to me that yeah. I did that, and why? Why would I do something for so little money? But right. we, we, the, the actors and I researched like the history of Barry. We wrote songs. We created scenes and created this tour route, uh, and that was a really popular offering. Right. Um, so then I came back the next year, directed for them again, remounted Nine Mile because there was a demand for it to return. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I was producing other shows for the company. At, at, around that time, Larissa stepped down and I uh, became the artistic director mm-hmm. of the company. And uh, I started slowly kind of pivoting us more towards stories that were about Barry as opposed okay. to Shakespeare. Right. Uh, which some people were, you know, a, a bit up in arms about, and some really welcomed. I certainly thought our audiences welcomed it, and it showed in right. uh, an increase in, in ticket sales. Um, I mean, there can always there's always some kind of resistance to change, especially in well in in the theater, but in, in pretty much anything. Yeah. So changing from from Shakespeare, which people some people expected, to something else that that can be people can be resistant to that, <clears throat> but there's also Excuse me. <clears throat> There's also something to be said for um, people being able to see themselves on stage. Yes. And the attraction of being able to relate a little more to stories about where you're from than these people who lived 500 years ago or were, didn't even live 500 years ago. They're fictional things and they speak in this weird way. Yes. And things like that. It's always Shakespeare, I think, was initially very popular, mm-hmm. um, but it was a novelty. And I think in the hands of a, tr- a great director, it has appeal for everybody. Like in Richard's hands, I found yeah. it could it could reach everyone. Um, James Wallace, who directed for us, when you're a young young guy, he does all the. Um, do you know James? No. He does um, Shakespeare Bashed in okay, the French yeah. Festival. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's been at uh, Stratford this uh, past summer, and is there again this year? Um, it it is really accessible. To everyone, and but mm-hmm. you need those you need those people who yeah. who, who, who can do that. I love Shakespeare. I love being in those plays, and I certainly you know I'm familiar with the, the canon, and um, I, I think it's a it's a wonderful thing. But I just through many many conversations with people in Barry, mm-hmm. kind of found that they didn't connect with it right. as much as they you know, as they might, and in fact. The t- just the fact that it was Shakespeare was scaring them off from even coming yeah. to see it. Well, because there's some people who their connection with Shakespeare, which is due to the way that we teach it, unfortunately, they all have, they have a bad I, like they, they have a bad experience in high school. Yeah, I don't like Shakespeare. That's what they're going to say. Yeah, is because of high school I don't like Shakespeare. Yeah, and I know why. I've gone in, I go into the schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, teach like a work, you know, a workshop in Shakespeare, and I, I try to teach it from the perspective of an actor, mm-hmm. you know, who's who has to deliver the lines and yeah. therefore understand what's being said. And I'm trying to explain this to a bunch of grade twelve students, and the teachers are there going, "Yes, but how? You know, what season does this 
this monologue followed to? Is it fall, winter, yeah. or in spring? Yeah. And, and, and none of what it has any real meaning. No, no. what it amounts to is like an analysis. Yeah. And they're preparing you to like to work in higher IT or something, you know, yeah. like where it's it's like I'm like that is that has nothing to do with this play, you know, the way you're yeah. trying to break it apart and categorize and Shakespeare it. would be horrified by that kind of analysis, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Like for sure. the way that they teach it and the way that they analyze it. He's just writing this shit as fast as he can yeah. to get on stage. And we're like, you know, five hundred years later or whatever, like Treating it like he's he was like agonizing over all of the symbolism and, and stuff that that we've sort of inserted onto it. Yeah, no, he's trying to reach an audience, yeah. you know, and connect with an audience, tell a story, and make people laugh. Like yeah. really, you know. When you were thinking about making that change, and I've just shrunk my chair. <laughs> this is one of those things. You just hit the chair in a wrong spot and you sink. Um, when you were thinking about that change, was that something that like, did that scare you, changing from what Theater by the Bay was used to, or, or was it? Did you did you somehow know it could work, or did you think it could work? Um, it's yeah, I, I certainly had some reservations, mm-hmm. and I did make it a gradual transition. We're mm-hmm. still inside it, mm-hmm. you know. It's been going on for a couple of years. Where I would offer a Shakespeare, but mm-hmm. I would also, in the same season, be offering. A local story, mm-hmm. like a story about Barry during the First World War. Right, right. We have those run side by side, but I'm sort of slowly moving towards a, a situation where it's just all local stories. Um, I think that when you are trying to sell a season to people or mm-hmm. sell programming, it's always um, you want simple, clear messages. Yeah. So as opposed to saying. You know, our 2015 season, we've got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. To be able to come out to them and say, local stories. Yeah. That's a strong kind yeah. of message. So that excited me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I was considerate of of respecting our sort of our audience that has been with us for mm-hmm. 17 years. Um, I was also eager to present them with something that was a little bit daring and, and new mm-hmm. by saying local stories. That's what yeah. we're doing this year. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's always been sort of interesting to me about Theatre by the Bay, um, and one of the things that's curious, because, you know, I'm a Toronto guy. That means that um, I don't go to Barrie. Of course. I don't, go to, I don't even go to <laughs> Hamilton. It's, I, did, I did the Hamilton Fringe this past summer. Okay. I know, like, Hamilton, you can get there in, less, in, like, an hour or something like that. Yeah. It doesn't take that long. It's not hard to get there. It's not hard to see theater there. But it seems so far. I know. Oh, yeah. And so, <clears throat> well, especially when there's so much to do here yeah. already. You know? yeah. yeah. But even then, like, there may, maybe I hear about something interesting in, in, in Theater by the Bay. And I just think to myself, it's so far. I know. How do I get there? Who? And I'm sort of, like, thinking to myself, like, who has been the audience for Theatre by the Bay? Has it been local? Has it been hoping to get people When I first came Barry? in mm-hmm. t- to my role, I asked that question yeah. and no one knew. So we started mm-hmm. doing a lot. Like I, I implemented a lot of uh, data collection right. through surveying. And I immediately identified the fact that it's... Almost ninety nine percent are just from Barrie. They're not mm-hmm. from. They've not come out from Toronto. If they have come out from Toronto, it's because they know someone on the show. Right. You know, it's and we had this. We had um, a tourism representative 
for the region on our board. Yeah. And they were constantly saying, we've got to get this group up from Toronto. We've got to get this group up from Toronto. And advertising in the Star, advertising in papers yeah. down here. And I just said, I don't think that those – doesn't matter what we say. They're not going to come up to Barrie to see a play. Right. You know? Like not – and at least not the kinds of things that we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. So let's not waste our energy on it. Let's focus on getting the people in this region and, mm-hmm. and broadening our share yeah. of the market here. Um, now, there was an exception to this. Last summer – uh, I we we produced Goethe's Faust, mm-hmm. uh, and I worked with the German consulate okay. to bring up German Canadians mm-hmm. who have a, a great interest in seeing Faust. Right, and they commissioned like buses or chartered chartered buses to come up to right. to see the show, mm-hmm. and we had people coming from Kitchener Waterloo and Toronto and. So doing something that kind of unique and unusual right. drew that that group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's interesting. You talk about the the surveys and, and knowing who your audience is, <clears throat> which is one of those things that I, I think is super important about when you're trying to trying to do theater is know your audience and know who they are and know where they are. And for theater, like like it's it's almost astounding to me, and yet it also makes sense that. When you're, you ask that question, who's our audience that nobody could tell you? It's like one of those things that I think a lot of times we don't think about. Well, we're doing theater, so people are going to come. Yeah. We have kind of a vague idea of who mm-hmm. is in the audience, but yeah. it's, it's imperative yeah. that you understand that. Yeah. And, and how old are they? How old are the people who are coming to see your shows? And we learned mm-hmm. it's like 18 to 25. Mm-hmm. Then there's a great gulf. From 25 to about 50, and then 50, 60, 70, 80, those people are coming. But in Barrie, if you live in Barrie, in that that age where we, we're not seeing mm-hmm. them, it's because they have children and they're they're busy with their mm-hmm. with their family. We might get that group in for our kids' show when they're bringing right. their kids to the show, but they're not coming out at night to see whatever it is we're putting on. But you're you're seeing the the, the vast numbers <clears throat> of your audience in the eighteen to twenty five. Uh, that's the majority of our audience. Yeah. Okay. So you have to bottle that and sell that to people because yeah. that's the demographic that here in Toronto and a lot of other places we're wringing our hands because we can't oh, we can't yeah. get them out. Like, how do we get the youth out? It sounds like tell them stories that relate to them. Yes. And I, this is going to sound like sometimes people like literally roll their eyes when I say yeah. this, but put their friends in the show, <laughs> you know, put their friends in the show. And I, mm. it's, and that, and people go, well, that, that rings of community theater. And I always say to them, well, community theater is also extremely popular and sustains itself. Yeah. Right. I, I, I'm not afraid to, to draw, like to bring mm. uh, young people, put them in our shows for me, you know, there's always a question of ratios of how many mm-hmm. local people to how many professional yeah. people in the show, but th- those are very worthwhile questions mm-hmm. to to investigate. Uh, I have a, a a saying that I also that also gets eyes rolled, but works magically, and it's only your friends come see your show, so have millions of friends, <laughs> right? You have to you have to kind of build on your your networks. Mm-hmm. It's it's just that's just how it, it seems to work in this day and age. 
and and in how so how are you uh, gathering or how are you getting to know your millions of friends? I am involving them in the creation of the show in mm-hmm. one way or another. Mm-hmm. So when we did our World War One show mm-hmm. last year, we had our local militia battalion celebrating their 150th anniversary. Mm-hmm. And they had a committee that was, you know, it actually reminded me a lot of like a, a theater board, yeah. but except populated with army colonels and <laughs> uh, generals. And they're all sitting around and they're saying, how do we get people to know who we are and what we've contributed? And I said, well, we, we're going to put on a play about your contribution and mm-hmm. and tell your stories help us do the research help us like we want to have a, lo- a member of the of the battalion in the show mm. and they found that guy for us you know he had a little bit of acting yeah. background he understood how to assemble a rifle he knew right. all the drills and he brought like a huge amount of knowledge to yeah. the production yeah but he also brought out the entire battalion mm-hmm. in the show many of these guys had not seen a play in 30, 40 yeah. years. That was incredible to have it in, like mm-hmm. audiences full of soldiers. Yeah. You know, that was, mm-hmm. and, and you know, we did it site specific. The show was oh. site specific. We did it in the, uh, the hall of Trinity Anglican, which is this old, it's an old church uh, in Barrie that's been there for like 163 years mm-hmm. in the community. And they have a hall that I could, I found it in my research had been used as a rec room for the soldiers when they were mm. staying in Barrie before going overseas. Mm. And you know, uh, so there was this connection that I could draw right. to the material, to this space. And their whole parish, their whole congregation came out and saw the show and mm. volunteered mm. to sell tickets and sell cookies and that kind of thing. Right. People, when they feel involved, feel an obligation to not only come but to bring other people right. to see the show. So <clears throat> this is this is what... I think regional theater companies should be doing to to revitalize interest mm. in the theater. Mm. Um, so you're, you're you're saying that that sometimes when we think about get people in, or get people involved, we're thinking like let them see what it's like in a rehearsal, show them a video, this sort of the this. Sort of, you're, but you're talking about like get them get them ownership, involved. Yeah, give them ownership, ownership over mm-hmm. it. They're, make them a stakeholder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like the the sitting in a rehearsal thing. I've tried that, and it's just mm. it's as hard as getting them out to see to come yeah. see the play itself. Yeah. Right. Because um, a rehearsal doesn't look awesome. <laughs> sometimes you know? it does. Well, sometimes, sometimes it, it sometimes does. Sometimes it comes yeah. later on. But like, if you get people at the wrong time during during a during a rehearsal, if you can get if even if you can get them in and it's not going well, they're like, what the <laughs> what am I like, what am I gonna do? Like, I'm gonna watch this thing? Yeah, yeah. No. Um, so that sounds like that's been that's been really successful, yes. as well as the telling the stories about uh, uh, you know letting people see themselves on stage. Um, so what are you working on this year? So this year our project is the Five Points, which is a, a documentary play about downtown Barry. Mm. The Five Points, if you know Barry, is the central intersection in our downtown. Mm-hmm. It's where five five streets mm-hmm. encounter one another. It's a very strange street. A lot of confused drivers who approach it. The str- the intersection is very unusual. We have our theater, the Mady Center, where the show is actually going to be performed at one of the corners. Two of the other corners are where buildings have burned down. One, when a meth lab exploded and burned two restaurants and a bunch of apartments down. 
they've left that as kind of this weird, like, fallow field with, like, spruce trees and benches. Okay. Uh, the other side is, there's, it's where we used to have a, a Sam the Record Man was okay. there, burned down. Now there's a hot dog stand that is closed during the day, but on, and only opens at one in the morning and has this massive lineup that goes down the street. Mm. And then uh, one one corner, which is uh, like a flat iron okay. built type building called the Bourbon, okay. uh, which has is a, a bar of eccentrics and locals always hanging out on the front stoop. And then uh, a t- there's a, a Tim Hortons on one of the corner where, like, pretty sure there's a, a kind of a, co- a cocaine ring is sort of operating, and there's constant. Drug deals or fights mm-hmm. happening on it, uh, and when people speak about our downtown, they often make reference to the five points. But for me, it's a metaphor of five points of view, five mm-hmm. perspectives okay. uh, of of different groups in, that that exist in Barrie mm-hmm. and all have an idea of what the downtown is and what the downtown should be, and none of those points of view have anything to do with one another. Mm. They don't adhere in any way. Uh, sometimes are completely contradictory, and none of these groups of people talk to each other. Hmm. And uh, so we are interviewing people who live in our downtown, who work in our downtown, who live in Barrie, who work in Barrie, about their thoughts on that. Hmm. And uh, we, our actors are doing like verbatim okay. um, impersonations <clears throat> of, of those interviews. Um, and it's uh, I know that's 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 a huge amount, but the 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 additional part of this is uh, my wife and I, who are kind of the c- kind of co real leads on the project, both studied at uh, Ecole Philippe Gaulier mm-hmm. in Paris mm-hmm. or Etampe, and uh, we're approaching it from like a physical theater okay. perspective. So it, lots of uh, chorus. Lots of movement, big characters. Mm. Um, it's comedy. It's funny, and um, it's built on the concept of le jeu. So, like, there's a game kind of underneath everything mm. in the show. Yeah. Uh, have you done ever ever done uh, verbatim theater before? No, I haven't. Game? I actually have never. I I know that's that. This is uh, a first foray for me into. Verbatim theater. So how do how does one prepare to <laughs> dive into verbatim theater uh, uh, for the first time? I feel like that's like you know you're like asking a guy who's taking water skiing lessons. <laughs> how does one prepare to water ski? And the guy's like, I guess I just listen to my instructor and I hold on to this pole. Mm. So how have I prepared? I've watched a lot of verbatim theater. Okay, um, the National Theater in the UK has some amazing online resources. Mm. They've, they've documented their processes of creating uh, shows like uh, Black Watch mm-hmm. and uh, London Road. Yeah. Um, and I've watched those. I've read some books on devising and mm-hmm. on creating um, theater that has sort of social impact. And then I'm, I'm just imagining mm-hmm. what what a verbatim process looks like yeah. writing it out and bringing it in I don't and so because I actually haven't come to the end of this 
yet. I don't know if this is actually the way to go about it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we're, we're having... Oh, and, and I should also say, my wife had did the... You're familiar with Fixed Point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She did their... They are doing these intensives right now where they share their methodology. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've kind of approached them and said, we're going to use some of your techniques in, in our own process. They're okay with that. We're going to acknowledge them. Um, but yeah, taking some of the, the mm-hmm. things that have worked for them and, and bringing that into mm-hmm. our, our process. It's interesting uh, uh, that you're sort of like faced with, and you. some of the work that you've done before, it sounds like it may have been devised theater as well. Or, or yes, yeah. I've done lots of devised yeah. work where, but I'm a, I don't know, and this is my company, Single Thread in Toronto, does, we work with history mm-hmm. as our source material. So that will be newspa- old newspapers or, mm-hmm. you know, facts about wheat or interviews with uh, curators mm-hmm. this is this is a totally different thing we're working in a con- in the contemporary right. right i think what's what's different is that with history there's sort of a need to create an imagined an imagined space built on fact mm. whereas with this i'm finding people in interviews will say things and i might even in, at that moment, no, that's totally untrue. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I'm not. My my obligation is not to edit to tell the truth. My obligation is to represent the perspectives of right. people. Right. Right. So if someone believes that building hundreds of condo buildings in the downtown mm-hmm. is going to save it and revitalize it, mm-hmm. even though I disagree, I'm going to represent that view right. on stage. Mm. Right. That's interesting. So instead of. Uh, uh, it's normally the playwright or the, the divisor might be imposing their own view on whatever it is that they're doing. You're you're committed to sort of uh, like representing what people say. My thesis exactly. is we. My thesis is there are many different perspectives mm-hmm. on this downtown. Yeah, and you are likely unaware of the other four. Mm-hmm. You're you're very much in your own your own right. sphere. Right, I think mm. this and this is this translates on a more universal it does, yeah, level. I'm just thinking it does to yeah. to you know some of the conversations that have been generated by the American election mm-hmm. of people are inside their little world, yeah, and they they are like editing whose voice they hear on their their social media feed, mm-hmm. so it's an echo chamber, yeah, and I and and the actors in the cast and I are are okay. like. Shattering the walls of that chamber and getting outside of it and talking mm. to people. Mm. Anything that you've learned that you care to share about the different perspectives about the downtown? Sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to. Fi- yeah, I've learned yeah, a lot yeah, of things. Of course, actually. yeah. Um, well, there's one group, there's a group of people that I have learned to have more respect for, and that is. I used to call there was a group of people I used to refer to as Duck Dynasty, mm. and I would encounter Duck Dynasty when I was working on Promenade Days, which is a festival in Barrie, trying to get people to come to see our our plays. Right, and most people are you know will at least talk to me for a couple minutes and let me do my spiel. And, right, and you know, Sir Hamlet is a great thing. You got to come see it. But there were people who wear like army fatigues and, and camo and, mm-hmm. and like 
they always have like you know long greasy hair and it's you know they wear sunglasses and yeah i'm and i'm always kind of i used to kind of be disparaging of that group of people because i'd be like like i don't know it's just i i think i think of the stereotypes the sure the the, associated with that group of people but through our work we have gone out to you know people who are doing ice fishing or people we've gone out in the woods and talked to people at like hunting camps and asked them about what do you think of barry what do you think of the downtown and kind of going onto their turf, going into their territory, mm-hmm. I've my eyes have kind of been open to what it is they do and what like what that worldview is, what that lifestyle is, mm-hmm. what's beautiful about that, why that is something that you would you would do and kind of embrace and represent all the time sure. and live, and how out of my own depth mm. I am when I'm there. So I completely understand why, like why would they want to see a play that has nothing to do with what, what they're doing mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Right. So that's one group that I've kind of sort of grown to have more respect for mm. through doing this. It's interesting. There's, there's, um, the, you were mentioning that on one of the five points, there's a theater. Um, and you're going to be performing in that theater. Yeah. Um, have you learned anything about what, uh, the people that you're speaking to think of theater that you didn't know? I'm planning to ask okay. that question. Yeah. We haven't gone there yet. I, I, I didn't want to start with that because <laughs> that I worried it would be wise. too it would be too um, na- like too self-indulgent or right. like navel-gazy but it has absolutely been on my mind. Oh, yeah. Partly because I kind of know what some people would say. Like, I, for, you know, on promenade days I stand outside for three days eight hours mm-hmm. at a time. And I talk to hundreds of people and I say, would you like to come see the theater? And I get a lot of people who say, I hate the theater. I hate the Mady Center. I, you know, yeah. that, that is not, like, we don't do that, right? There, there is a significant proportion of people who do not like the theater. For those people, do you have a sense of what, is it the concept? Is it what they, they have an idea of what theater is that they don't understand or... Or are they those I saw a play once and I didn't like it? Because I've encountered those people. <laughs> There's some of that for yeah. sure. There's, I saw a play when I was in the sixth grade. I didn't like it, and I always kind of yell after them as they're yeah. going down the street. I, I almost feel like obligated to do it. I'm like, give it another chance. Yeah. Give us a chance, right? Yeah. Because I know. I mean, um, it's like it's the one <laughs> art form that. People feel comfortable saying, I, I saw a play once and I didn't like it, so I don't like theater. Oh, yeah. But if they were saying that, like, nobody says, oh, I saw a movie once that I didn't like, so I hate, I hate movies. I hate all movies. Yeah. Or I saw a painting, even like, I yeah. saw a painting, I didn't like the painting. Yeah. Or I saw a picture. I saw a TV show that I didn't like and I'm done with TV now. Yeah. Like, that doesn't happen. But theater, there's something about it that makes people say yeah that. I think it's a time it's because it's a time based mm. medium it demands a certain amount of your, your time mm-hmm. sure and whereas a, a painting it's like no no I can look at it for five seconds and then be on my way yeah but and then with movies it's so kind of built into popular right. culture that you know somehow mm-hmm. it, it circumvents that I don't know yeah it's, I don't know I, I mean if I understood exactly why people hated theater I you know, you, again, to, you could bottle it and like and like sell it to as a solution. To I used to hate onions, <laughs> and I didn't eat onions on anything. I'm like, don't I don't want onions on anything. It's but now I love them. They're great because I I tried them in a few different dishes, mm-hmm. and 
It's not rational. I don't no. think it's ever rational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those... Uh, in, sometimes I think that part of it is because of the effort to go to theater. Um, there's a movie theater on, like... Everybody knows where their local movie theater is, right? Um, and they know how to get to it, and they know what's playing there. Um, theater, you usually have to travel a little bit to get there. Maybe you have to take the car out, get a babysitter. You know you're going to be there for a couple hours. Probably going to get dinner beforehand. There's all of these efforts that we tell ourselves, and I could just stay home and watch Netflix. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, last, last night I was invited to go see uh, Stupid Fucking Bird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, I had a free ticket yeah. to see the show but I'd been rehearsing all day right and uh, I, I was coming back into Toronto on the bus mm-hmm. and I, I I had this moment of I should just tell them I'm sick I can't go yeah. and then I'm like no suck it up I heard yeah. the show's great and I'm so glad I went right like, it was like so did you see it I haven't seen it oh no. man it's good it's, yeah. it was, it was like wonderful it was exactly what my soul did mm. at the time it was so refreshing to see and I go, I drew great energy yeah. from seeing it. It's interesting when a theater f- finds their audience. I was talking with Eldritch Theater a little while ago. Eric Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a guy. There's a group. They like he know like that audience waits for him. Like that audience, if he doesn't do a show at Halloween, they're emailing saying, "Why? Where's your show this year? What are you doing this year?" Like, they, they're hungry for what he does. And when you manage to find that, that's so much gold. But to find that, you have to know who they are. Yes, absolutely. And, so, and, it, and that yeah. starts with making decisions based on evidence mm-hmm. and doing data collection. Yeah. It does start with that. Yeah. I actually, you know, we started out by talking about how I work in, in IT. Yeah. Like, that's something I kind of learned from working here is they... Mm. They don't make decisions without a huge amount of data right. to back up those decisions. Right. And I'm, I kind of was impressed by that. And I thought, why aren't we doing that more in, in theater at the indie level yeah. anyway? I, and I think you know, the answer is because we're barely able to even put the shows on. We're so yeah. we're stretched so thin. Yeah. But it is with, with Theater by the Bay, it's a regional company. I've got a little bit more of a foothold, a little bit more. We actually have an office, which mm-hmm. is great. Some computers, summer staff. I actually have the resources to collect yeah. data. So it's, it's a priority. Uh, when you were talking about starting to collect the data, was there any resistance to finding to, to that? With who? The people of the, the, the board or the people that you were working with? Was there like resistance to like answering the question or were they into it? No, there wasn't resistance, but there was resistance to listening to to um, decisions made based on that evidence. Mm. People, you know, on the on the board had really they they had an anecdotal understanding of the audience, right. and they clung to that anecdotal right. understanding. Um, and then I, I was just saying that's not necessarily true. Right, that's not necessarily where that audience is coming from. Do you remember what the the big surprise in data versus uh, the anecdotal was? Oh, that audience. The, I, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give you. I'll okay. give you the big one. Okay. It was that the majority of our audiences were coming because they knew someone involved in the show. But, and that number was so 
astronomically higher than social media or uh, television, radio, newspaper, advertising. Like, they came, and maybe maybe they saw, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. you know, there's always that thing of, there's that triangle right. or whatever, you know, you see it in a couple different places before it's, you feel right. that compulsion. But they came because, like, they identified as having come because they knew someone involved in the show. Mm. And it was, like, you know, it was a bar graph, and the that bar was, like, a huh. hundred stories taller than anything else. Huh. And, and and it was that thing of I think I think the block for people is well that's embarrassing that they only came because they you know they knew someone in the show that's embarrassing and right. and I'm like no we just need to understand how that kind of yeah. operates and I actually that so so that that was from a production of as you like it that we'd done and I said okay I'm going to take the evidence I'm going to apply it to this production we're going to do about World War One that mm-hmm. we devised, we re- researched, devised, mm-hmm. created with. I, I made it this huge local cast. I like I put the ratio higher on local actors, all local technicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, I brought in my my team of ringers to act as designers. I want local costume designer involved. All these different groups in it. We sold out. Mm. Three weeks of shows. Hmm. It was it was like, and, and my my evidence was completely right backed up by that hmm. by that result. Like, um, and I'm going to do it again with the five points. Hmm. That's going to happen again because hmm. as we're doing the interviews, we've I'll, I'll give you one before you go. We've got these postcards that have the the sort of media for the show five points you know a documentary yeah. play about Barry and on the back there's a there's a little dotted space Phil you have been interviewed for the five points your story right you know mm. Alex's data will be featured yeah. okay yeah. that's not a good no no, no but yeah <laughs> but it will be featured in the show on these dates and like you can put that up so you're gonna your story is gonna be in the show right we've already got hundreds of these mm. out there and I and I'm, I know that our message is starting to reach because people are when they see me in mm-hmm. Barry and I I'm, I'm around I'm a man about town yeah they're saying oh I heard you're doing this show about downtown Barry mm-hmm. that's really cool mm-hmm. the word is spreading right that's good yeah that's good and and uh, when when does the five points happen when does this happen that's going to be uh, July 19th to the 29th okay. It's a, a relatively small window. It is. Is, yeah, there, is there Shakespeare along with that? Is there, or is this what no, Theatre by the Bay is doing? So, so the 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 shows are um, the Five Points, mm-hmm. Land of Make Believe, which is like a uh, it's a panto, okay. created by two two local uh, creators nice. um, that that's a, you know toured schools that kind of thing. Um, and then we are bringing back our World War One show okay. in November That's for uh, like Remembrance Day, and then it's yeah. going to tour the county, go to Base Borden. Nice, nice. yes, yeah. Yes, that's, great. that's the season. Yeah. So it's, it's our first season not doing a classical production mm-hmm. or a big musical. Has anybody complained about that? No, no. Amazing. I haven't heard a word. Of that's 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 neat. I mean, it's interesting that um, we would think like my anecdotal opinion on that would be that there would be 
people who'd be like, well, you're not doing Shakespeare this year. I don't know what you're going to do. You know, the people who'd be complaining about, about the lack of the musical or the or the Shakespeare. Yeah. I, I held a retreat of artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there were 10 artists. We went up to a cottage in uh, Muskoka. Mm-hmm. And two of the actors said, well, you got to be careful. You know, like people are going to feel left out or left behind by it. And like, you know, I think we should still be doing Shakespeare. But that were those were the actors. And the actors, of course, they love doing of course, the yeah. Shakespeare. Because yeah. like, I mean, I've been an actor in tons of Shakespearean plays. It's a rush. Yeah, you of know? course. So yeah. I don't know. It's it's they they're like I haven't had any audience members yet be like you should be doing more Shakespeare. I miss. Mm. I, whereas I have uh, dozens of people writing to me saying I loved how you featured a story about my grandfather, right. or my great grandfather. Mm. I had descendants of characters in the show call me and say like, man, my you know great grandmother who ran the Red Cross would have been so honored mm. that you did this. I don't know. So, so yeah, yeah. It, it leans That's, overwhelmingly to a positive response to doing that. There is, I mean, we have in in I don't know about many other places in Canada. I think this is a. Uh, I don't think it's just Canada. I think we do this a lot. We lean on Shakespeare a lot. We lean on the classics a lot, but we lean on on Shakespeare pretty heavily, and. Partially because I think you know you don't have to pay royalties because he's dead, um, but also I think because we lack the confidence to put our stories on the stage, and I think I I, can, I think that that from what you're saying from this you have a body of evidence that says put your audience on the stage and they will come to see they will come yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You said it very well. I mm. totally, I, I agree with that. And I, yeah. I, and I, I think I'm certainly not calling for a, a, a. I once read something that said a five year moratorium on Shakespeare. I'm not calling for a moratorium on Shakespeare. I, I'm really speaking very specifically about mm. Barry. Yes. Yeah. And it's based on 17 years mm-hmm. of experience with that particular audience. Right. The, Barry is unique in that it doesn't have a university. Right. It doesn't have a theater department. Uh, there isn't, like, there isn't a kind of uh, familiarity mm. with, like, a Chekhov or an Ibsen. Right. Or, you know, th- those those names. I don't think mean as much in that community. Right. So you have to take a different approach mm. with them. It's actually there's, but there's so, such exciting opportunities inside that. Yeah. You know. Well, it's interesting because because. Um, I mean, how many of the people who are living there know their own stories? Like, they know their story, but they don't necessarily know the story of Barry. No, right? they don't. They don't, like, you know, the, that was, you know, with Nine Mile Portage, people have said, oh, that's why Barry was built here. That's how mm. we came to be. And I drew this, you know, there's, there's this sort of thing of why is our downtown such a sloppy shit show with all the <laughs> bars and everything? And in, in Nine Mile Portage, I had this big scene where... It was just talking about when we had 36 people living in the town around the little portage site, we had two bars. Mm-hmm. We had two taverns for 36 people. And then there were more like because the industry was all around alcohol mm-hmm. and people staying overnight before they went on right. on the portage mm-hmm. traveling to the Great Lakes. So kind of at our 
our foundation at our core, we're a town that like loves whiskey and we love mm. we love alcohol. Mm. Um, and, and then, of course, that's the 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 yang to that is a strong Methodist mm-hmm. uh, community that resisted that and opposed that, right. and has always kind of kept the alcohol thing in check from getting too out of control. But I sort of identified this is like core mm. to who we are. Mm. So don't don't be too frustrated by it. It's yeah. like this is existential. Do you know? Do you, uh, I mean? Having having been from there and and knowing like, do you know like because Barry, you know, doesn't have a university. Is there an industry that's not whiskey? It's not drink. Uh, is the well, like what is the like who are the people who live in Barry? Like, do you know? Because I always think of Barry as people people who live there so they can work in Toronto. Yeah, well, there, that's a huge section of the mm-hmm. population. It's a sleeper community for Toronto, especially right. the south end of Barry. Right. They, you know, if you want to be able to afford a nice house, I mean, at one time the the pr- house prices in Barry have skyrocketed, right? Of course, thirty percent jump this year. So that's that's one section mm-hmm. of the community. There's old Barry. There's people who've been there for generations, and they are, you know, they exist to kind of often serve that population. They run all the kind of the retail right. stores, these established restaurants. They're professionals. They're the dentists and doctors. Right. There's a, a number of high schools, uh, you know, they're the teachers in schools. Um, who, like, who else is there? There's, there's um, uh, a lot of retired mm-hmm. people in the in the community. Um, And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to identify. Like you, you can't like put like a thing on on a place. Yeah, it's yeah. always interesting to say. Like, I remember when I was in when I was in in Winnipeg. Um, I I arrived and I was looking around and I sort of thought to myself, "What is the like? What's Winnipeg's thing? What's yeah, Winnipeg's yeah. industry? Yeah, because it's not you know. I mean, at one point Winnipeg was built on the railway, but what is Winnipeg now? Yes, I never quite found that out yeah. but it's always you know it's always interesting because you know I go to Hamilton and I know what Hamilton was yes which it's not anymore it was it was like it a was steel, steel town it was yeah. steel yeah and they're not now and yeah. now there's that whole search for what are we well we've had yeah I mean we've had a number of of like of major industries mm-hmm. in the town we had I, I, the problem is I can only think of the ones that have, have closed down and, and mm. moved away right like right. I can think of the Molson, like Molson right. Brewery, which not only is no longer there, but is now there's a like a, a strip mall mm-hmm. on top of that. Right. There's a huge amount of like low level retail right. that has sort of sprung up, and I think people kind of bemoan it a little bit. Like it's the stuff that makes it indistinguishable from Etobicoke or Ajax or Whitby mm-hmm. or something. It's those those like the these you know. Big gigantic parking lots, and right. you know, there's a Boston Pizza and a right. Cineplex. Oh, it's like the, the the Power Center Plaza Mall sort of thing. And increasingly, like, yeah. the people who live in and work in Barry work in these places. Mm-hmm. They work in the mall. Yeah. They work in the strip mall. You know, well, that's the that's the the Walmart effect. It is basically the same thing. It's yeah. the Walmart effect of of like the homogenization of every place that we live in. Yeah. Um, but the important thing is that that 
people have the opportunity to hear stories about where they're from. And that's one of those things that, that can become one of the pillars and the part of the intimate fabric of a place is yeah. to have their stories told. And I, I'm, not, I'm trying to think of how to expand on that to hear the stories of their neighbors. Yeah. Yep. Hear the stories of the people that I think they have constructed an image about, mm-hmm. but that is totally wrong, yeah. basically. Um, and that, I think, is will be fascinating for them to see. Yeah, it's going to be – it sounds like it's going to be really interesting. I'd be really curious about, about how when people see it and they're exposed to, like, those point of views that they've never even considered, the – the kind of conversations that they may have after that, which is one of those things that you really—that's what I want. Theater, yeah. you want people to leave. Oh that, man, I the want to generate to have these conversations. Yes, I want to generate a robust conversation about our downtown. Yeah, and we've been having like the actors and I have been having those conversations with people on the street mm-hmm. of like what's you know because we, we always close with what's your vision yeah. for downtown Barry? What do you think it could be? Yeah, and you know what what a guy. Standing in front of the Fox Lounge, which is like a great, like rockabilly punk music venue downtown, uh, kind of an indie music venue. What that guy says downtown could be is so different from what my dad, mm-hmm. who lives in yeah. Barrie, is going to say. Like, right. you know, my dad's going to say, you know, well, you know, maybe have some more condos, maybe. Oh, I'm worried <laughs> my dad's going to listen to this. <laughs> uh, uh, might you know get some the, the the shelters to a different part of town? Don't have it all sort of focused there, you know. Don't have, like we have the the prison in Penetang. Yeah. They get a bus ticket and it takes them to our bus station, and they then that's where they end up, yeah. right? right? Figure figure that out, sort that out. Um, you know, like just there are these different competing yeah. ideas and and kind of putting those out there, and then people go, oh. Well, no wonder we're sort of stuck in this position because this group is fronting this so hard. Right. This group's fronting this, and we're just kind of meeting each other and getting s- sort of stuck. Well, because discourse is kind of dead right now. I mean, we've got this is one of the things that we're seeing because of our echo chamber. We don't listen to each other yeah. so much anymore. And to have all of those opinions in a room in a theater, putting people in a theater and confronting them with like these varying ideas. In a space where they've learned that they have to listen is subversive and yet also uh, what it should be. Like, yes. like to have people in this space because they are going to listen and maybe they will come out with a different opinion than they went in with. Well, that would be amazing. That wouldn't that? That would be amazing. <laughs> and I think also just on a, on a more kind of visceral level, they're, they're, they're going to laugh a lot mm-hmm. at – the recognition of themselves, right, and that this the way they pronounce certain words and make certain sounds and express certain ideas. Like, yeah, it'll be just be like, yeah, that is. So, I want people to be going, yeah, oh my gosh, that's so true, and and almost laughing. This often happens in verbatim or shows that are devised about a community. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're sort of laughing before you get to the punchline because you're like. Hearing a street name, right. like, oh my god, that street, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you almost, you almost know where this is kind of going. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Wow, that sounds that sounds fascinating. We are basically out of time. Cool. Thank you so much for for talking to me today. This has been a really great, really great conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Phil, for having me.